0: Here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue.
1: It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at the Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you.
0: Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's.
1: And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe.
0: There'll be panels, parties... Immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny.
2: Get your tickets now, sugar, at the UncannyExperience.com.
3: Bum bum bam 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 bum bam 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 you are now in session with the comic book couples counseling podcast i'm lisa gullickson
0: i'm brad gullickson
3: and each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm in this episode fresh from san diego comic-con we're attending our company picnic Oh my God, is that statue of me? Oh no, these tumbleweeds are vicious and in our creator corner. (laughs) We're talking to Jamie Lee Curtis, Russell Goldman, and Carl Stevens about Mother Nature from Titan Comics.
0: These Comic-Con episodes just get wilder and weirder as they go. Jamie Lee Curtis on comic book couples counseling, what?
3: We've had some amazing people on this podcast. People I count as my heroes, Brad's heroes, people who know comics lose their minds. But it is nice to have someone on the podcast where my dad is like, ooh, interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah. I got a message from my aunt and she was like, now you're talking to somebody I actually know. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, like it does, when, when Jamie Lee Curtis appears on your podcast, there are people in your friend and family group that actually come out of the woodwork and listen to your show. So uh, Aunt Gigi, uh, Leo, Welcome, hello. hello. This is Comic Book Couples Counseling. It's okay. Yeah, it's a pre- it's a pretty good show. You should stick around. I I am mean, like I am curious. Like, will Aunt Gigi now go into our back catalog and see? Like, oh, you know, what's this uh, Daniel Warren Johnson all about?
3: Ooh. I mean, we can imagine that parallel universe. Are we living there? I, I don't I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: well, here's my hope, you know, for the Aunt Gigi's and Leos of this world that are now listening to Comic Book Couples Counseling for the first time because Jamie Lee Curtis is on it, that they go out and they pick up Mother Nature from yeah. Titan Comics and they get excited about it, and then they're like, Oh well, well, I like this. Maybe I should check out Carl Stevens' other book. Penny, and we had Carl on this show before, link in the show notes, talking about Penny, and then that's like the gateway, that's the gateway to this wonderful medium that we always talk about, you know, there is a comic out there for everyone.
3: That's right, so we'll just keep buying them for you for Father's Day and your birthday, and we're going to watch them proudly be lined up on your shelf. Gathering now, dust.
0: Dad did say that he's actually interested in reading the Marvel comic series, the Nom. Yes. After we spoke with Daniel Warren your Johnson dad. about it, my dad, my dad, we haven't talked to your dad yet about the Nam. Maybe he would be interested in it. He was drafted.
3: That is true.
0: So I don't know. Like I, I like I, the Nom could be a gateway to our parents as well. You know, the, you know, there's so many comics. You seem super skeptical. You're I like, am. This is not happening. <laughs> our dads are not going to become comic book fans
3: unless there's like some kind of Clive Custom comic. <laughs> I bet you there is. (laughs) Do you think so? I
0: bet you there is a Clive Kessler comic.
3: Can you go back in time and buy it at an airport in the 80s?
0: Uh, I don't think time travel's actually possible. I've been reading up on it post Oppenheimer, and it doesn't seem like it's a legit thing.
3: To give context, Brad, after seeing Oppenheimer, believed that all movies about scientists are based on fact, and now (laughs) he's retroactively disappointed in Back to the Future. Oppenheimer
0: sent me to Science Versus the podcast, and I've been in a rabbit hole of that show. And uh, yeah, Back to the Future can't happen, Lisa. Sorry.
3: That Wendy Zuckerman, she sure makes science fun. And speaking of fun and learning, we did revisit the San Diego Comic-Con Museum, and we had a great time. What
0: an excellent transition, Lisa. Thank you. You are
3: so welcome. San
0: Diego, beyond San Diego Comic-Con International, is such a great comic book town. And the San Diego Comic-Con Museum is one of the stops that you have to do when you visit San Diego whether or not Comic-Con is going on.
3: This year the main floor exhibit focused on animation and there was an obscene Gumby
0: presence. <laughs>
3: I think that the that the influence of Gumby on modern animation was overstated. I,
0: I mean I I mean I don't know if that's true or not. I was so not a Gumby kid. In fact, whenever Gumby found its way in front of me, I would run in the opposite direction. There was just something about Gumby and Pokey and those, like, blockhead guys Mm -hmm. that really creeped me out as a child. So, going to the museum and seeing so much Gumby on display, I mean, I did reconnect with that childhood revulsion, but I know that's a personal thing.
3: I really appreciate what they're going for with those main floor exhibits. They want the whole family excited. They have those, which you saw us take advantage of, CBCC at SDCC <laughs> hashtag. Right. We took our picture with the Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, a
0: lot of photo ops.
3: And there were also these interactive stations where you could try your hand at your own animation, like you could make short stop motion animation films or they showed you how to animate a bouncing ball. But when we went, these areas were swamped with right. kids and families, right. so it was hard to like, you know, of course I wanna get in there and play with the toys. Yeah, but.
0: yeah, like, I think we would have had more fun at the museum if we had gone on some off hours. Uh, but even not really having access to those interactive stations, of course, like I'm such a nerd for animation cells and placards and actually reading what's on the walls. They had some really great early animation stuff there like Gertie the Dinosaur, Windsor McKay. The tricky thing with an animation exhibit versus like let's say last year's Beyond Amazing Spider-Man exhibit where you had like original John Romita Sr. art and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby art and all this all this art that was accredited with animation, since so many names, so many hands have touched this stuff, they can't really say like, well, this cell was done by so-and-so. They know it's a Popeye cell, but they can't really credit the artist. So on those placards, it was just like, this is probably from this era.
3: But it was impossible to tell, like, is this an original cell or is this a recreation? I missed having that main floor really be about comics and being able to get up close to those Romita pages and and Ditko pages. Like yeah. I, I missed really getting in there. It
0: was only highlighted by this, like that aspect, like that disappointment was highlighted by the fact that the Stan Lee exhibit was going on in the basement, mm-hmm. and the Stan Lee exhibit did a good job of crediting. Artists, you know, there were John Romita Senior pages down there, Jack Kirby pages. Not a ton, though, because the focus was on Stan Lee. Mostly what you saw were just, you know, original issues on display as museum pieces. So they had like an Amazing Fantasy 15 there. They had a Fantastic Four number one there. They had, you know, X-Men number one, Avengers number one, all like all that stuff, a Marvel Comics number one. And all of it seemed to have come from the collection of Michael Uslin. There's a guy who invested well. Uh, You should check out his story. Like I would like an exhibit all about that dude's life. Check out his Ted talk. But the weird thing about the Stan Lee exhibit was how it downplayed the artists that contributed to the creation of the Marvel Comics universe and the conversation around Stan Lee coming off of that Disney Plus documentary recently and the Kirby estate and their response to that Disney Plus documentary. I was very hyper aware of how Stan Lee's story was being sold in this exhibit. So the fact that like the totems, like the end product, the magazine Was the thing that they were really focusing on. And then they had like this little corner devoted to like one or two Steve Ditko pages and and, like a Jack Kirby here and a Jack Kirby there. It just felt a little funky, a
3: little unbalanced.
0: But just like last year, the coolest thing going on at the Comic Con Museum was on the third floor. Mm And this year they had, like, going around the ring, uh, like, the balcony ring at the top on the third floor there were these, like, cardboard standees created by children. These massive structures. That Hulkbuster that had been built by, like, two 12-year-olds really impressive, and then on the other side of the wall, across from the railing, were all the original art pieces that had made the covers of the various San Diego Comic-Con programs, the souvenir books, going back to the early 70s. And that's where the real gold was. You had original Will Eisner pages, Jack Kirby, Frank Miller, Scott Shaw, Hillary Barda, like incredible pieces that were kind of being unseen by the majority of the people in the museum.
3: Like, do you want to see how Jim Lee draws Hellboy and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah. You see it on that Comic-Con 50, you see the actual finished piece of art, and you get to look at the pencils, which I could stare at for hours. And
0: when you look at Jim Lee's pencils of that insane collage of eclectic heroes, you really go, wow, the colorist did an amazing job. Mm -hmm. How does the colorist discern anything in those pencils?
3: But also, Jim Lee killed the perspective Mm. on standing at the top of the uh, escalators in the convention center, looking down that circle with the banner. We've all taken that photograph.
0: Yeah, I would love to actually buy a poster or a print of that image. It's just so quintessential
3: they also had an entire room dedicated to the artist rick geary who came up with that iconic san diego comic-con toucan that you see on all of the merch and it's funny like he was just a guy who liked to draw birds (laughs) that technically never was a toucan it was just a, a bird with a huge beak but now it is this icon this logo that makes us all think of sunny san diego and flipping some flipping through some comics. Yeah, that
0: room, the way they did the art, you just, they had every iteration of that toucan hanging on the wall, and it wrapped the room like a timeline. Mm.
3: And he is not tired of drawing that bird. He has released new illustrations for this Comic-Con of the bird doing every single job. It's like his Barbie. This bird has been an astronaut. This bird has been a superhero. There is a steampunk illustration of this bird. This bird, has become a real character, I feel, in Rick Geary's life, and in ours.
0: He even has a frickin' Funko Pop. And you know, like that's the thing about these mascots, really. They're easy for us to take for granted, but then you walk into a room like this one at the Comic-Con Museum, and you really confront the legacy of Rick Geary's Toucan, and you can't help but be in awe of it. And maybe, it's, maybe we should have been in awe of it the whole time. Brad should have been in awe of it the whole time. I certainly am now.
3: And And he's done so much more than this toucan. Yeah, of course. He's an amazing comics that we actually have in the other room. But I feel like having been in this room, just focused on this one iconic thing, I feel a reverence for the toucan that I never have before. Yeah, same, big time same. And I love also that he designed the Ink Pot Award, mm-hmm. and then he got an Ink mm-hmm. Pot Award. Like, I mean, that's just like a snake eating its own tail It's be- in a beautiful it. way. I love it,
0: I love <laughs> it. You know, like, if we could have done the Comic-Con Museum all over, I think going to it on Wednesday, mm. the day of preview night, may have been a mistake. Maybe Monday, the day after Comic-Con, would have been the ideal time, because I believe... Is that when we did Beyond Amazing last year?
3: No, I think we still did it before, but I think we did it on like Tuesday or something.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But then
3: we couldn't have brought Brian, and having our friend Brian there makes it even more special. That's
0: a fact, that's a fact. I loved taking Brian through that exhibit, and Brian definitely enjoyed the exhibit as well. (laughs) I'm just feeling that FOMO of not being able to have played with those.
3: Toys downstairs. Yeah, yeah,
0: the animation, the interactive stations. But then on Monday, like, originally our plan was to go to Disneyland. Yeah. You know, we don't get to the West Coast too often. Once a year, basically. So if we're going to be there again, let's double down this time. Let's go to Disneyland. And it's been so long since Lisa's gone to Disneyland, and Brad actually got to go to Disneyland without Lisa. Yeah. And it felt weird and uncomfortable, and I've been trying to, like... (sighs) make amends for enjoying (laughs) Disneyland without Lisa, so I wanted to bring Lisa with us. But the issue we were finding was you just don't have the energy.
3: You get tie -tie. (laughs) you know, you do a whole convention and you're running around and then all of a sudden you're like, I've already spent so much money (laughs) and I just can't imagine dragging my my tired butt around, (laughs) like standing in line in the hot sun. Right,
0: right, right, two hours for the age of resistance, no thank you. So yeah, if we're gonna do Disneyland, I think we gotta do like our own trip to Disneyland, that's gotta be the sole focus. And you know what, I have no regrets because that Monday and Tuesday after the con where we really just sort of enjoyed San Diego as a city was also so much fun. Yes. That's when we hit up all the really rad comic book shops that are at San Diego.
3: Yeah. One downside of doing press this year, being more press centric. Well, I wouldn't say like, it's like a downside. I guess it's part of the like price of admission is as we're prepping for these interviews and we're going to the holding places and waiting for these interviews to start, we miss out on, on really digging into the shopping aspect of the exhibit hall floor. This is actually our first year where we didn't hit every inch of that exhibit hall. Yeah,
0: talk about FOMO, that made me real uncomfortable. As like Sunday was closing down, and I realized how many aisles of the exhibit hall we had not touched yet, I was getting like really like frustrated, anxious, anxious <laughs> and kinda angry. So
3: we had we had a lot of unmet shopping angst that we had to express. So our first stop was supposed to be Kamikaze right. Comics, right. but unfortunately, they were closed. Yeah, what the heck? So we didn't get to see DD, which was sad.
0: Love Kamikaze, usually my favorite shop to visit while in San Diego. Because
3: after the convention, it's in shambles.
0: <laughs> and there's some, uh,
3: there like the walls are covered in trades, but also there is a mountain of trades like in the center of the store. Yeah. And it really, I feel like I'm in Indiana Jones. Uh, I
0: mean, let's be real. If we're looking at like a shop, if we're looking for a shop, To completely recreate Brad and Lisa's aesthetic back home. (laughs) Kamikaze has our apartment's feel. Yes. You know, stacks upon stacks of stuff. Yeah.
3: So we had to find somewhere else immediately. So we <laughs> went to SoCal Comics, which is a very different store. A
0: great store, though. Our buddy Lance from Comic Book Keepers, I believe that is his shop.
3: Oh, his pull boxes. Yeah, is so there? if you
0: want to track down Lance on Wednesday, that's where <laughs> he's going to be at Not SoCal. for murder, just for fun. No, just for fun to hang out and buy comics with Lance.
3: But, um... SoCal is for single issues.
0: Yeah, SoCal is kind of like in this industrial area, and there's a TARDIS quality to it because on the outside it doesn't look that big, but then when you walk in, it's a series of rooms (laughs) that just scatter off into these different corners of this big-ass warehouse.
3: I was going to do a different metaphor or simile. My simile would be like they're trying to recreate the California Gold Rush because... (laughs) It is not properly air conditioned. No, it's
0: really hot it's inside. It's really
3: warm, and you're sweaty, and you're sticky, and everybody's hunched over a long box panning for gold.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's this massive dollar bin area. And Lisa and I have become like dollar bin hounds in the last year. So suddenly SoCal was just a very different experience for us. And then over in like the uh, 70s and 80s room, or actually, I think it was like the Golden Age and Silver Age room. Yes, yes. Uh Lisa was like panning for romance comics. Yeah, and
3: I got some good stuff. And I'm not like talking like resale value good because you get the sense that the people at SoCal are doing their due diligence when it comes to like pricing these, pricing these comics to their actual value. But good stuff by my estimation right, right, where right. it's from the 50s Betsy's written her name on it, and it's so trashy.
0: Like, that's what I love, where it's
3: just like teenage confessions. Yeah, highly
0: loved comics. So Lisa's buying like $8, $7 books. Yes. Uh, And and, and I'm going into the long boxes. I finally made the decision. It was a hard one. I'm going to collect all of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I love this for you. And all of Usagi Yojimbo. Feels so good. on the East Coast... Those comics are really hard to find Mm -hmm. and are crazy expensive. Yes. But on the West Coast, having gone through several comic book stores now, I was able to buy a ton of Usagi Yojimbo and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics for really good prices. In some cases, dirt cheap prices.
3: It's funny because... In terms of like different types of stuff, I'm like, we really nailed it this year with not buying too much. We didn't buy <laughs> statues or too no, many action no, figures. No, no. Um, You bought a
0: Man Thing lunch pail.
3: I did get a Man Thing lunch pail, which did get crushed in my luggage, and I'm heartbroken. We should have shipped it back. But I did learn a valuable lesson.
0: Don't listen to Brad.
3: (laughs) I stuffed it full of clean underwear, thinking that that would protect it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, we brought two suitcases with us this year, and I just felt like we could bring all our stuff back in those suitcases. And we
3: did. Was it a good decision? It was
0: not a good decision. Uh,
3: Like, on the plane home, Uh, this is such a tangent. On the plane home. Home. Brad and I were not able to get seats together. Right, right, right. And right. I ended up having a window seat because that's me preferred. And I can, I, and Mama gets what she wants. But like, so I had a window seat, and I happened to be next to two actual children, and I was carrying a bag. Back- Pack so full of comics that I mean, it was like it was holding an anvil. I mean, it was
0: fifty pounds easy,
3: and and I had to like lug it over the children, and just my catastrophizing brain is like, I'm going to kill someone's child. They are going to lose their eye to the corner of a bag and board. The
0: hilarious thing about us being apart during that flight is you were sitting next to two, two very tiny, tiny children. children. I had the middle seat. Oh, and two massive dudes. I'm a massive dude, and two more massive dudes next to me. (laughs) Did
3: Lisa Uh, trade? No, she did not. No, she
0: did not. No,
3: she did not, because do you know what? I'm gonna take a Xanax and fall asleep.
0: Horrible flight, horrible (laughs) flight. And I also had a backpack that weighed like 50 pounds. But I if I had s- dropped it on those dudes, they would have been fine. <laughs> I think we're, next
3: year we'll FedEx.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I hate shipping comics. I hate shipping comics. I know, comics. but you
3: know what? My Man Thing lunchbox We should destroyed. have shipped the
0: Man Thing. I agree, I agree. And for that, I mean, I'm going to take the blame on that. But back to SoCal Comics, we bought a ton of single issues there, It was so fun. And we were not done. No. We had to leave SoCal. We had to go to another comic book store. And this comic book store, I'm not going to name. That's right. Uh, it was a fascinating experience going to this shop. I'm not even going to say where it was located. It's in San Diego. You know that. That's all I'm going to say. And we had been to it before. And it was like a, like last year was, you know, not a special experience, not a, like not a bad experience. Just like a, you know, just a, just a, just a day at the shop.
3: It felt like a newish store. Like the books felt new, the layout it, felt new. Well it
0: was, okay, I mean, now we're really giving details of the shop. It's oh. a very new store yeah. in San Diego. It wasn't there a few years ago. I believe last year was its first year. Yeah. But 99 out of 100 times, we have great experiences at comic book stores. I feel like the direct market has had a revolution in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. You go back in time to my childhood and you go back to those shops that I grew up reading comics in, they were for the most part, really awful places, places that were not kind to new readers, right? And I always felt like the shop owners were mocking me as a child whenever I decided to purchase anything. Like, whatever I bought they would look down at me.
3: Like, we're almost inconveniencing them yeah. by shopping for yeah.
0: comics. And it's been so long since I've felt that. And to be honest, at this store, we didn't feel that from the owner.
3: We Yeah, he just let us shop.
0: Yeah, he let us shop. You know, he said, hey, let me know if you need anything. Yeah, no problem. We, of course, went to his dollar boxes. Started Flippity flipping flop. through, flipping through. And while we were doing that, a customer came in and was seeking assistance.
3: Yeah, yeah, he came in and he said, hey, I work with this special needs guy. He loves, he loves comic books. We
0: were just at Comic-Con.
3: Yeah, and I'm not a comic book guy, but I really wanna buy a gift for my friend. His birthday's coming up, he's such a great friend.
0: And they were inspired by how much enthusiasm radiated from them while they were trolling through Comic-Con, right? What a gift of a customer, right? Right. Because not only is this an opportunity for you to sell a comic to uh, a person who's not there, but in selling that comic to that person who's not there, you're also convincing the person who is there to maybe buy comics as well. So this is like two customers in your building.
3: And the response of this shop owner was essentially like, uh, it's really, I have no idea what the guy you're talking about wants or needs. We
0: don't sell toys here, so we're not really for special needs. It was really... so gross. It was
3: really weird. Like,
0: shockingly bad. And, you know, but the, the guy really wanted comics. He's like, no, but, you know, he likes comics. I'm just looking for some new comics. And the owner you know, eventually started recommending a couple things. One of the things that they recommended because they had mentioned The Walking Dead mm-hmm. and I think they had mentioned Invincible. And so, oh, they like Kirkman stuff. You should check out Firepower. And That's also, a pretty good recommendation, this Firepower. This guy didn't
3: have any follow-up questions about what the special needs, yeah. The, the owner had no follow-up questions for what the special needs were of this individual who's receiving the gift, but through conversation, we could tell this is a person, this is an adult person who wants comics. Right,
0: and so they recommended Firepower to him and-
3: That's a good choice. It's
0: a great choice, we love Firepower, but the customer wasn't really sold because on the recommendation.
3: Because we knew that, because he knew that he already liked that creator, and so as they were reluctantly going to buy the comic, I just popped in and was like, hey, have you considered to do a power bomb? It just won an Eisner for readers like older teen readers. But here's
0: the best part: is the owner says, "Oh, well, we don't have that." And Lisa goes, "Yes, you, you do. It's in, in your, your window." window. <laughs> so Lisa went to the window and I grabbed. I literally
3: hand sold a comic.
0: <laughs> and and then the guy, the owner, says, "Oh, that's a great recommendation. I was going to recommend yes. that next." Yeah, and you know, like the passive aggressive. Uh, response to Lisa's rec- recommendation was like palpable. And it, it was just such an ugly exchange. It was so pathetic. And, and it offended me on many levels, one of them being as a former retailer.
3: Yeah. Needless to say, we're not going to be going back to that no, store. No,
0: no. It's crazy to me that you have the passion and the desire to open a comic book store, but when someone comes in and says, hey, Uh, I know nothing about comics, but I'd like to buy some comics. And then you retreat from that.
3: Mm -hmm. And it's your job to be an ambassador to the media. You
0: are not going to make it if you cannot sell to a person who says, oh, I'm curious about comics. Can you recommend something? That is essential to your job, to your survival.
3: We did find another store that we are definitely going back to because I think it might be my new San Diego area favorite.
0: Yeah, now or never in downtown San Diego, Uh, Why have we not visited it before? No idea, but we are definitely going to return to it every year going forward. When we walked in the door, this definitely helps our enthusiasm. When we walked (laughs) in the door, Zach from behind the counter says to his coworker, and I believe the owner of the store, Aaron, Aaron. Hey, Aaron, the hip, cool, young podcasters, Brad and Lisa Gullickson of Comic Book Couples Counseling have arrived, and that is, Never happened to us.
3: Flattery will get you everywhere, <laughs> it will, my friend. It will. You are getting some cash from us. That
0: was a wild sensation, and then you realize, like, oh, Zach, he follows us on Twitter. We followed him back on Twitter, uh, and, and then we we just like he, they gave us like a full tour of their shop. It's a two story shop. It has all kinds of stuff. It's got the usual, you know, new releases. It's got crazy deep back issues, we found Red Heat, the movie adaptation in 3D in these long boxes, that's my discovery of the con. Talking
3: to Aaron about like what inspired him to start his comic book store, he was from Boston, I think?
0: Oh, I, uh, I can't remember for sure, but that might be the case. He was definitely not from San Diego.
3: And the comic book store that he became a reader at prided itself on having the weird stuff. So they would have the DC and the Marvel, but then they'd also have the like comics with an X, you know, <laughs> yeah. they they had the indie stuff. And so he tried to take that kind of oddball indie mentality and put it right in the heart of San Diego, just walking distance from the convention center. Just as an example of how cool and weird this store is, they had a section devoted to promotional comics. Right, love So, it. like, comics that were made to sell cars or comics that were made to, like, teach children to, like, brush their teeth or they were, like, corporately endorsed educational comics. Just, like... Comics that were made to sell stuff. And it reminded me of that documentary, Bathtubs Over Broadway. So good. So it, it's about a collector who collects uh, like vintage promotional records. And I was like, oh, is this my new thing now? Do I want to find promotional comics? You
0: did buy a few. I did. And then upstairs, you found a the really trove. cool score.
3: Yeah, for $4 each they had copies of the PS Magazine. If you know anything about San Diego, if you have seen Top Gun, like (laughs) Top Gun happens in San Diego, there's a huge military presence. And so they have preventive maintenance magazines, many of which are beautifully illustrated By Will Eisner.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're all comic books. They're comic books that teach you how to, like, clean your M16 or to, like, prevent dry rot in your socks. And
3: so, like, while you're preventing dry rot, why wouldn't you want to see a beautiful blonde with big tits? Yeah,
0: yeah. And and the art is incredible in these things. I can't believe they were selling for just four bucks. (sighs) I kind of regret that we didn't buy the whole stack. stack. We bought three of them. Uh, if they're still there at the shop next year, we probably will buy the whole stack.
3: Yes, yes. I love this page. This is one of the full color inside spreads, and it's called Joe's Dope Sheet, packing materials and supplies you can order. And it's literally just a supply list, but then there's like a voluptuous woman in the middle just holding, holding the box.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a thing of its era, but like you said, it's the, these are not like crummy drawings. These are beautiful illustrations. And yeah, uh, a lot of it's Will Eisner, so yeah. pff, gotta get.
3: They also have a ton of like vintage toys. Like if old McDonald's Smurfs are your thing, they've got them.
0: Old G.I. Joes, old Transformers, Mighty Mugs. I haven't thought about Mighty Mugs in a while. They had a ton of Mighty Mugs. And so yeah, I mean, it, it's a real hodgepodge store. And Aaron's philosophy is just so not the philosophy of the shops that we have in our neck of the woods where they really only keep what, they only keep the stuff in the long boxes that they know are going to sell that are needed. And Aaron has faith that this weird stuff has a customer seeking it out. It turns out that's us. He
3: had like a, (laughs) his hero story that he told us about buying the weird stuff is that he had bought a full set of promotional Barbie sunglasses. Yes. That like nobody wanted. They were essentially trash. But he's like, no, I'm going to display them. Boom, there's a Barbie movie and they're flying out the door. Like the idea that someone thinks that their item is curious enough to at least see if it's worth anything means it's going to be worth something. To somebody, so why not put it on display? Yeah,
0: and they've got like a serious eBay business as well, which is really rad. And they had lockers loaded up with cool stuff in there, and it, it was a shop that we spent you know an hour plus in. And Aaron and Zach are just such cool people, and. We, we talked to them for a long time. They have like a series of seats, like chairs, theater chairs. Yeah. In like the lobby area of the shop. And they had gotten those chairs from a local high school.
3: Yeah. Like for, they were having like an, an auction. auction. Yeah.
0: And, 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 like, and like just the aesthetic. The, so, like, if uh, Kamikaze feels the most like a reflection of where Brad and Lisa live. Now or never is the shop that feels like the place where we wanna live. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's definitely
3: organized in a way that is, Aspirational. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a hodgepodge. It's super weird and eclectic. It's but lovingly, organized.
3: yeah, it's lovingly curated, I would say. And like just the enthusiasm for what they're accomplishing there with that store is just like it's infectious. And the
0: fact that Zach and Aaron could see what we were hunting for and picking up and then recommend a whole bunch yes. of other stuff. Yes. Like, yeah, that's that's the stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. We've said it on Twitter and we'll say it here. Now or never comics is the best comic book store in San Diego. We love it. And we love those guys and we cannot wait to go back. That
0: is a fact. And the great thing is, is when we told them that we were going to go to Pokey's, which was like across the street from now or never, they had recommendations of what to order. they did. (laughs) And then they were like, I loved Zach. Zach's like, okay, so that's your lunch. Now, if you want, Dinner. This is the pizza joint you need to go to. <laughs> That's right. But we were so stuffed after Pokies that we did not have dinner.
3: How have we never eaten at Pokies before?
0: It is a place that everyone always recommends when we go to San Diego. They're like, hey, you got to go to Pokies. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. We never have, but now we've gone. And yeah, we want to live there.
3: Yeah, it's a staple. I had a vegan tofu burrito that was so flavorsome and delicious and the size of my torso. And what else do you want And I had the
0: tofu California. So it was a California burrito, but with tofu in there. Yeah,
3: mine was like a mushroom one. And
0: yeah, it was the best thing I ate in San Diego. And the place has such a cool vibe. And when you go into the bathroom, it's like this mural of graffiti. Mm -hmm. And there's all these little things that you can like... It's like a Where's Waldo situation. There's like Star Wars figures hidden in that graffiti, like Hellboy characters.
3: I loved their mural. They had like a, a long, like a foot wide mural of just the Virgin Mary and David Bowie.
0: So good, so, so good. So it, yeah. it
3: touched my heart. And there
0: was a monkeys Mickey Dolan show poster on Because up in that the guy
3: is still on tour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they were playing Spider-Man cartoons the entire time we were there. So yeah, if you're in San Diego.
3: Go to Now or Never Comics.
0: And then eat at Pokey's. Perfect day. And if both of those places want to sponsor Comic Book Couples Counseling, (laughs) we would love that. Zach, Aaron,
3: We'll do it for uh, many copies of PS Magazine. (laughs) Also, if you're looking for Comic Book Couples Counseling stickers, we, we burdened them, was probably <laughs> too many, so I would really appreciate it if you went and took some of those stickers to make us look cool in their eyes.
0: Yeah, we brought a lot to Comic-Con, and what we didn't give out at the convention, we gave to them at the shop. Lisa, do you think Aunt Gigi and Leo, who, are, who came here just for Jamie Lee Curtis, are still listening?
3: Oh no, they have, like many of our <laughs> listeners, 15 seconds skipped to this very moment.
0: Oh, well, let's get to Mother Nature, uh, which will be coming out from Titan Comics on... August 8th. Which is tomorrow.
3: That's right. And my mom's birthday.
0: Yeah, happy birthday, Dottie, who may also be listening because of Jamie Lee Curtis. Probably not. Can our listeners tell how desperate we are for our parents' affection?
3: <laughs> I am a third child, so I am, I'm always thirsty for that motherly love.
0: Well, Mother Nature is a mom's book, which we talk about with the creators.
3: What's interesting about Mother Nature is to me, is how it came to be. So the story of Mother Nature came to Jamie Lee Curtis when she was like 19 years old. And she'd just been living with this story inside her until she hooked up with Russell Goldman and they finessed that idea into a screenplay.
0: Yeah. And then for whatever reason, that screenplay never manifested into an actual film. And in the meantime, Jamie Lee Curtis is collecting original New Yorker art and that's how she connected with Carl Stevens and they developed a little bit of a friendship and at some point she told Carl about this idea from Mother Nature and then Carl asked to read the screenplay and then Carl said, you know what? I could turn this into a graphic novel and Jamie Lee Curtis and Russell Goldman were like, that sounds rad.
3: And then they just let him do it. Like, so when we were preparing for this interview, I was like under the impression that there was like a lot of back and forth going on. Like it
0: was a true collaboration.
3: But no, it truly is like a screenplay adaptation by Carl Stevens, an artist that we love. He's a brilliant watercolorist. His comic, Penny, is beloved to me. I think it's so sweet. and uh, But uh, to me, I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis going a little out of her comfort zone with working on a comic, Carl Stevens going a little bit out of his comfort zone doing a horror comic adaptation. He does more like slice of life type stuff.
0: Mother Nature is a horror comic. Mm -hmm. It's basically a supernatural revenge story focusing on this young woman named Nova Terrell who is going after the corporation that she blames for the death of her father who died tragically and violently during this experimental oil extraction project.
3: Mother Nature is Jamie Lee Curtis's answer to the climate crisis. She uses horror and violence to create this sense of urgency for this upcoming catastrophe that we've had several decades to get ahead of. Right, And I feel like both Jamie and Russell have done a great job of representing how... Corporations like buy our complicity Mm. in killing our planet. This corporation has taken over this town. They've employed this entire town. This entire town is living off those corporate resources. And, hey, it's paying for my daughter's college. And, hey, they paid for all of my cancer treatments and all of that stuff. So it makes it hard for us to suffer now to get out from under the thumb It's a
0: codependent relationship.
3: Exactly.
0: And the supernatural elements in this story come from indigenous Dine culture.
3: The story taking place in New Mexico and having that indigenous influence had always been part of the story for Jamie Lee Curtis from the time that she was 19 years old. So in order to depict that and execute that story well in 2023, they did hire- indigenous consultants to go over the script, including DNA scholar Jeremiah Watchman and novelist Brian Lee Young, whose novel is titled Healer of the Water Monster.
0: And he provides a really fascinating afterword to the graphic novel.
3: Which I encourage you to read.
0: I really liked what he had to say about the violence in the story and the importance of the violence in the story and the fun of the violence in the story.
3: This is a story about the earth retaliating for the violence we inflict on it every single day. And the tone is really set for me with that very first scene, the scene that leads up to Nova's father's death. So it opens with this corporate picnic where the workers are being presented with this statue in their honor. And the statue just so happens to look exactly like Nova's dad. Nova's dad is going like, oh, they must really care about me specifically because why else would they choose me to be the model for this statue? And of course, later he dies and they give no Fs. And the symbolism of that statue is brought full circle in this story. But that's that's why I wanted to start this conversation specifically asking about the statue. And that's why I'm laying the land. I'm laying the land because I want you guys to know the context of the scene I specifically bring up in Nova's this Nova's father
0: also looks like Carl Stevens?
3: Yes, and then the CEO of... Cobalt looks exactly like Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah,
0: so it's like Jamie Lee Curtis is starring in her own comic book, which is kind of cool.
3: Which was actually really cute in the room, because she liked to point out that that character looks exactly like her to all of the interviewers, and makes a point to say that that wasn't her idea, that was Carl's (laughs) idea to cast her in that book. The
0: last thing we need to do before jumping into the conversation is set up where the conversation was happening. It was happening over across from the convention center in the Hilton, and it was in a ballroom-like room, a ballroom-like room. Yeah. And there are multiple round tables, right? And usually when an interview is going on, you're outside the room waiting for your turn. But what was kind of nifty about this is that they let all the reporters come into the room and the first person didn't get to do this, but every person who got to interview them afterward got to do this we got to listen to each and every one of the interviews happening before us. Mm. So we got to hear Rebecca Kaplan talking to these people for the beat, and then we got to like kind of base our questions off of the answers that she got, right? So yeah, like I I appreciated that, so that we didn't, you know, create the same interview.
3: But it was also really fun because Jamie Lee Curtis was playing to the entire room. The whole time She was really She really wanted to welcome us And also put on a little show
0: And she was very proud Of this comic book You know Titan gave us a PDF beforehand And we were able to read The entire thing And we super appreciate that But PDFs are not The ideal reading experience For a graphic novel Oftentimes, Their resolution is garbage
3: And they have an enormous watermark
0: And Jamie Lee Curtis Wanted to know From the Titan person Like did they all get to look At the actual actual comic book because they had just printed out a small limited run to sell at the convention. And when she heard that we had not seen it, she was like, well then give them our copies and pass them around to all of the journalists so they can see what this comic book actually looks like. Because PDFs are PD poop. That's
3: right. I will take that to the grave with me that he listening to Jamie Lee Curtis call them PD poop. So
0: accurate. But
3: also really savvy because mother nature is a beautiful comic on the on the iPad, but it is even more beautiful and effective on paper. Anybody who reads comics knows this, that page turn, like where the page turns are and how they lay out is so important reading a comic. And
0: we knew how gorgeous Carl Stevens art could look on the page mm-hmm. or in higher resolution because we've experienced that in Penny. And we knew that the PDF we had was not representing Carl's art as best as it should, so that when we finally did get to actually look at Jamie Lee Curtis's personal copy of Mother Nature, you are like, oh yeah, this is even more astonishing.
3: It also makes me think about how she collects original Mm. New Yorker cartoons, where she goes like, the object is sacred. Like she sees a piece of art that is squished down into her favorite magazine that makes her chuckle and her husband chuckle, but she knows that that is not the piece of art, that it is a squished down piece of peaty poop, and she (laughs) wants to have the actual, where Carl Stevens put his hands to paper to make that laugh happen for her. That's special. I bet if it was up to her, she would have liked us to actually look at the Carl Stevens painted pages. But I mean, the hardcover book looks pretty nice too.
0: What I appreciated about her love of the item, of the artifact, of the totem, is that she is clearly a collector like we are. Mm. Like she clearly is a comic book nerd in her own way, but she is working with a budget that is beyond ours.
3: Yeah, yeah,
0: so we've teased and pleasure-delayed this conversation long enough. Let's just get into the room with Jamie Lee Curtis, Russell Goldman, and Carl Stevens. What's nice about seeing the physical copies, you get to see like, where the page turn is mm-hmm. and the violence on the page. And turn. by the way, yeah.
2: we never saw it until today. All yeah. three of us saw this about an hour ago.
0: Well, yeah. Congratulations. Isn't it, it gorgeous?
2: I love <laughs> a,
3: yeah. hardcover. a hardcover.
2: That's I what mean, I too.
0: said. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah.
2: When I first saw it, I didn't. I thought it was gonna be a soft cover. I didn't because I didn't pay attention
0: to any <laughs> of what they wrote. <laughs> yeah. We was, won't take it it up your a, time. No, no, no. We, we, we've been fans of Carl's for a while, and this is Brad and Lisa. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: We're from Comic Book Couples Counseling.
0: That's yeah. We're Hello. America. I'm Jamie. Nice, nice to meet, meet you. you. Nice to meet You're guys. married. We are. Yes. yes. I love that.
2: Well, as you know, um, Carl and I met because of marriage, right. because of <laughs> buying a comic for a comic, a cartoon for Christopher for our 35th wedding anniversary. So
0: I'm curious as to your experience, Russell and Jamie, your experience of seeing your story, which was not necessarily originated as a comic book being translated into the sequential form, and what this translation process taught you about your own story. Ooh, good question.
1: It feels like, and, and we had imagined it as other things, but it, when you just read it, it feels like the best version of the story that you could imagine. And, it, and it's it's so vividly drawn and wonderful, and you you can't in some cases with this is the Carl's created you can't like shooting a vista like that right. is incredibly expensive and difficult and and takes luck and um, to have an artist who can create it for two plus years by himself is is a uh, that's that's. That's no small, no small feat. And
2: and I, I'm sure if you watch his work or you follow him on, on the gram, Carl's studio is no wider than this table. <laughs> yeah. his, his studio is a hallway with a window and his draft table at the end. And it's not a hallway, it's a.
1: Yeah, well, it's like a bookshelf in a wall. But so. I'm
2: saying, it's is it, is it as wide as this table? Uh, yeah, Maybe. Probably, yeah. Maybe. That, about and that, I've yeah. been for two and a half years watching him in that space and so then to see this, I will tell you this, I, I didn't realize this until this moment, the only image in my head at 19 that's in this book today is the opening sequence in, oh, yeah, right. in the morning when um, uh, the parents live in a house, the kid lives in another house, the kid has a sleepover with somebody. Um, They have to wake them up because the parent is leaving, and they're going to see the car of the person. And so, and the person won't wake up, so then the kid goes out and gets in the car. The parent leaves, and this whole sequence, oh, wait, this whole sequence of the car, and then this is what I imagined in my head when I was 19 years old. <laughs> like a so,
3: helicopter shot. Uh, yeah,
2: because I imagine, and there's the car hiding so that she pulls down the highway and looks back and doesn't see anything. In my version of the story, it was a father mm. because father knows best, because I'm born 58. And so it wasn't a mother leaving, it was a father mm. leaving. But this image, this whole sequence was what i imagined when i was 19 years old i had create and so it's so exciting to me to see it come to life it is exactly what i imagined in my head
3: i love how the book starts with the scene with the statue and the statue being this kind of manifestation of corporate caring yep that like uh a- and even the detail of Nova's dad going like, hey, like, that's me. I, I feel specifically loved and cared for. Yeah, well, guess what? So, like, I-, I feel like corporate caring is such a hard thing to, to pick because it is entirely performative. Yep. So what was the inspiration with starting there and then carrying that theme through Riley's story, through Nancy's story, and, of course, through Nova's story as well?
2: That was Russell.
1: The, thank you, Jamie, uh, I, I, something that I, I think one of the most exciting gifts to be given as a writer are constraints, are like, there are, you know, in the case of this project, Jamie had the image forever of, of a pickaxe going through somebody's head.
2: Well, the, the death, the death on black ice. Yes. And the car coming to the end of the thing and hitting a thing with a pickaxe. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: and I, I loved the idea of that taking place near that statue, mm. um, and as this you know, this beautiful image, this be- horrible image, and that then you, you start thinking of like where that statue came from and like when it was unveiled and. Um, It was reading about the the church rock uh, spill, the the nuclear spill in the late 80s um, that caused a lot of companies like cobalt, um, obviously cobalt is fictional, but the real world analogs to uh, stop nuclear and stop um, uranium uh, harvesting and uh, move into oil because uh, that's a lot safer and nothing bad can happen with oil. Uh, So that's... That a lot of the um, the relationship that Cobalt has to this place, and we see it in the present day as well. Um, the the next frontier now, as we kind of understand, is are the Exxon's and Chevron's of the world selling recycled water to places where it's very hard to uh, get access to natural resources, and natural water, and that scared the shit out of me. And because I don't believe for a second, even with all the nice commercial imagery, uh, that they, they actually mean what they say, so.
3: And I love as a contrast to that, uh, as the counter-narrative, that this is a story about maternity and maternal caring, that like, caring for our planet is a maternal instinct our, our planet protecting itself is a maternal instinct, and that instinct is something that we all have access to as human beings. Like, and, and maternity is not just nurturing, maternity is fierce, M- maternity is something that is um, uh, defensive and violent. How was it like balancing those two stories of the, f- the very false caring and the very real caring?
2: Well, that's where. Drama comes in, isn't it? Isn't that the great conflict? Is we're human, so we're all flawed, we're all contradictory, we all have cross-purposes, except for Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. She has one purpose, God bless her, and her purpose is, has changed the world. Her individual life and her individual care and attention has changed the world forever. So, um, just her example is a a great example of one human being changing the world. But, um, you know, Russell is the reason it's a a movie or a story about two mothers and two daughters because, again, my version of the world was from the late 50s and it was very father-oriented. And by the way, uh, Cynthia was Eric Butterfield. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm.
2: It was, a a Eric was, uh, the big corporate guy, and, you know, Track Denton was the engineer, and Nancy Denton was his cheating wife, but wasn't an engineer, and it was Russell who literally took my original idea and went, no, no, no. it's two mothers, two daughters, Cynthia's a woman, it's called Mother Nature, and then it was just for Jamie, like, well, duh. I mean, it was just a perfect, I, mean, I remember every second of that moment happening, so... Um, By the way, it's the one great common denominator we all have in the world. We are—we all have a mother, Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: all of us. And so um, uh, uh, many people don't have a father because they were, you know, got a sperm donor or whatever. So you wouldn't call them a father, but a all of us have mothers. And so um, I should call mine more.
3: we should all call call ours mom and
2: my children should call me more but they don't but it's how
3: many times we like as women we get get told hey man up oh as a compliment you've got balls and i I like that this is a book that's asking us to like ovary up like come
2: on ovary it up that's right
3: (laughs) um so as filmmakers it's very natural for you to go like i have an idea let's get a team together, yeah. right? Carl, you're a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. You have the, you, have, you come from a, an, an opposite instinct. Like, I have an idea, Give, let me be guess. alone <laughs> for several hours. So yeah. what have you learned about your creativity working in, in this kind of collaborative uh, format?
1: Uh, what have I learned? Well, um, this was more of an adaptation for me mm-hmm. uh, because both Jamie and Russell uh, like left me alone, uh, like mostly. Um, as far as like the visuals went, I mean, I was kind of—it was really up to me to come up with the character design and the set pieces and everything. Um, you know, I mean, like there was like a little bit of input, but uh, like not really. So, I mean, it was kind of allowed to like just you know like dream about it and really. Um...
2: It's his book. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. his book. This is, is uh, uh, Carl spent two plus years yep. at a drafting table taking a screenplay. Breaking it into a graphic novel mm-hmm. and making yeah and 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 apparently appropriating certain public figures' <laughs> faces yeah. uh, in a in a in a very uh, challenging and yeah. uh, incredibly accurate and terrifying way.
0: So, yeah. you know, we it's a very violent book, and I feel like with that violence comes oh, a sense sorry. of urgency yes. that the climate crisis conversation needs, and I. Feel like so often for people, the climate crisis is this thing in the future that we're working to fix, but no, we it's, have to
3: trade our status It's form. happening
0: right now, and I think what yeah. this book does is by being as violent as it is, it's saying, Yo, get hot, yeah,
1: okay, yeah, start the tough conversation. We have had,
2: there's no better if we had timed this better. This last week has been the hottest temperatures on record in this country. They had uh, months' rainfall in Pennsylvania in one hour. They had a month's rainfall. You've seen the f- flooding in Vermont. You've seen these are places, and all of us are on the tick and the talk and the Facebook and the uh, uh, YouTube, and all I do is send uh, hailstone videos, hailstorms at Red Rocks where yeah, the crazy. concert was blown out because of and. The other, the sequence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where these people are playing and it begins and it begins. And I, when I saw this panel, I, I, but, but it's happening. It's happening in front of our eyes. And what we've been able to do is take what's happening in front of our eyes, translate it into a book, Carl, translate it into a book with a lot of support from Russell and me. Titan have been a great partner in how they've presented the book. And now we have art, and art changes people. It just does, it has since the beginning of time. Every crisis in the world has been followed by art and or, or concurrently having art lead the way. And so I feel like we're like exactly where we're supposed to literally exactly where we're supposed to be. With a piece of art, exactly what is needed at this moment in the universe. All
0: right. Amen. I hope all the good hands get it and read it and absorb it. Thank well, you so thank much. you guys for your thank interest. You. you
2: guys are amazing. Thank oh, thank you. Much How long have you been married?
0: Four, uh, 14 years. Yeah, last month. Yeah, last month. The other thing we probably should have warned people about with these interviews is you put a Zoom mic on a table, (laughs) Lisa, and then the people are so impassioned they start pounding the table.
3: Yeah, we we got, those thumps were signature Jamie Lee Curtis thumps,
0: you're welcome. And they signify her passion. Like what you hear in that conversation is a lot of concern, right? She is very invested in the climate crisis and she really wants us to wake up while reading her comic and get into action.
3: She also expresses that passion, but also a gratitude for all of the individuals who have been fighting the climate crisis all this time. So I would just like to read the dedication from her and Russell Goldman at the beginning of Mother Nature. To every writer, scientist, and activist who contributed to or inspired the story, including Greta Thunberg, Kendra Pinto, Mark Reisner, Julia Barrell, Tom Wagner, Judy Brewer, Rebecca Sobal, Mark Pearson, Alec Edwardson, Jeremiah Watchman, and Brian Lee Young. She very much sees the climate crisis story and the story of Mother Nature as this group effort, which I think is so important. Like, when there is something that needs to be changed it's on us to organize and get that done. My only regret was to not get more Carl on this interview because like, this was such a different process for him. And I just love the idea of him getting this entire screenplay And feeling the responsibility of having to adapt somebody else's ideas.
0: If you go back and listen to our conversation with Carl regarding Penny, which was done a couple years ago, he was already in the midst of doing Mother Nature. He couldn't say what he was working on, but he hinted at this project in that conversation and it is such an epic undertaking and it is such a unique effort from his part but at the end of the day this is carl's story as much as anybody else's and he is leveling up as an illustrator with this book. You are seeing things in Mother Nature that he has never accomplished before. And it's astonishing. It's so exciting to see. And, you know, like I'm not a gorehound by any means. I mean, I'm a little bit of a gorehound. But <laughs> when you see Carl Stevens execute horror movie violence on the page, it is unlike any other. Like horror comic, it is yes. so uniquely Carl Stevens.
3: Because there is, oh, excuse me, there's. Oh,
0: a the yeah, the police <laughs> are here.
3: <laughs> but he brings such an earnestness, yes, to the work that I think creates a really kind of odd feeling when you're just confronted with just like violence. It's well, wild.
0: It's a shock, right? Yeah. When we were reading it in our hotel room before going out and doing this interview, like <laughs> when we got to that first bloody panel, you're like, oh. Uh, Carl, (laughs) I didn't know this about you. And so that's, it's really exciting. It's really exciting to see. And I'm, So pumped for people to get Mother Nature, which is on shelves starting tomorrow, and work their way through this comic and hopefully, you know, discover Carl Stevens. If you like Mother Nature, you really got to seek out Penny.
3: Yeah, and all of his autobiographical stuff. And
0: he is a great follow on Instagram. Yes.
3: So you guys have homework. You got to find Mother Nature and get into more Carl Stevens comics we have homework. We have more table-thumping interviews <laughs> in the can that we recorded at SDCC that we need to get to you. So what do we have coming up on Comic Book Couples Counseling? Yeah,
0: so Comic-Con is happening all week long and will bleed into next week as well on Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hopefully you've already listened to our episode with Eric Burnham talking about Saturday Morning Adventures, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Our next episode will drop on Wednesday. That is our conversation with Todd McFarland. McFarlane. Now, McFarlane has been on the podcast before talking about Batman Spawn along with Greg Capullo, but this is a solo Todd McFarlane conversation that we had from inside the Image Comics booth, and I guarantee you, you've never heard a Todd McFarlane interview like this one. He
3: literally just heard the title of our podcast, Comic Book Couples Counseling, and then just ran with it, and we just kind of held on.
0: And then on Friday, we'll bring you a conversation from atop the DC Comics booth talking to Nicole Maines about Dreamer and her new original graphic novel centered on that character. And then next week, we will finally close out our San Diego Comic-Con International conversations with Robert Kirkman, Joshua Williamson, and Daniel Warren Johnson talking about the Energon universe, the new shared universe involving Transformers and G.I. Joe. And that's a chat you do not want to miss either.
3: If you're following us on social media, you probably saw that you've missed yet another screening with comic book couples counseling at the Alamo House of Winchester.
0: We just did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem and we were shocked to see how many kids showed up for that screening. It was wild to watch that movie from their perspective and to see what jokes landed for them or what jokes did not land for them. And what was even better about that screening is that we had Angie from Four Color Fantasies there selling comics in the lobby afterward and it was the screening in which we've sold the most comic yes, books. Yes. Very excited about that.
3: If you want to get in on some of that goodness and see a movie with us, we have another screening on August 27th. It is the classic film, The Mask, and it's going to be co-introduced with Trad Moore, yeah. who just so happens to be doing a signing at Four Color Fantasies on the 26th, as well as doing a raffle for some of his original art that you're gonna want
0: they are raffling three pieces of original Tradmore art and yes we have bought tickets Yeah, we want to win that art come compete with us Uh, Four Color Fantasies just killing it with all of their events The Mask I haven't seen it in a while I remember loving it so much I've picked up the Dark Horse comics in preparation that book is nuts please read that comic and then come see The Mask with us. of course we will be giving out comics as part of our trivia as well we like to make these big events at the alamo draft house in winchester virginia and we've been doing it now for six months i can't believe they've been doing as well as they have and then in september on the 17th we are going to be showing the dark knight trilogy Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises all together. Tickets sold separately, but only for $7. And also our tickets for The Mask are only four bucks. If you're in the DMV, it's worth a trek out to Winchester, Virginia to come to one of these screenings. I mean, we're proud of them, but I know that the people who come to them are having a great time because they tell me.
3: Okay, Brad, like after doing all of this Mother Nature talk, I'm feeling really compelled to sort some recycling. So where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you?
0: You can find me on most social medias at mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you?
3: I am always accepting words of affirmation at sidewalk siren on Instagram, Twitter, and blue sky. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on pod, Bean, Spotify, Stitcher, not for much longer, (laughs) YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If
0: you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, I refuse to call it by that other ridiculous rebrand, Threads, Blue Sky, Hive, Facebook, at CBCC Podcast.
3: You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod.
0: So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full.
3: And your psychic rapport open.